team, appreciate you all so much for leading us so well. And if you got your Bibles, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, so I invite you to join me there this morning. Uh, we're going to dig into why does the resurrection matter? Why does it matter? Uh, and so as you're turning there, uh, as I look across the room uh, and across the upstairs, that I notice that there are folks uh, that I can very much relate to in that uh, you're wearing glasses. Many of you are wearing glasses. Uh, I, I wear glasses all the time, so I got my contacts in right now. And so ever since uh, fourth grade, uh, I have seen life differently because that was the day that I discovered I needed glasses. And so uh, I was actually thinking back through that and uh, on Ms. Trammell's class, fourth grade, I walked in, I don't know if they do this the same way anymore, but I was in fourth grade and the eye lady comes in and in front of the whole class, they just line us up one by one with the eye chart on the wall and, and they test everybody in front of everybody else. And so it came around to my turn and I went and, and I guess they covered one eye and I just completely bombed. I bombed the whole eye test. And next thing I knew, I am at the eye doctor's office. And if you can relate, you've been there. They put this massive, I call it the Starship Enterprise, in front of your face. And they're just running lenses back and forth, back and forth. Is Which one's better, one or two, or three or four, or five or one? And, and you're answering these questions. And, and what ends up happening is they, they provide you a pair of corrective lenses to wear. And, and from that moment on, I saw things way differently than I ever had before. As a matter of fact, evidently, I had lived pretty much my entire life up to that point, not even understanding that I wasn't seeing things as it really was. And so I'm walking through life, and then all of a sudden, I discover I can't see the way I was designed to see. And because of those lenses that I'm very thankful for, that I see things differently. And as we talk today about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that as we look at life through the lens of the resurrection, we see things completely differently. We see things way different than we ever did before when we see the resurrection. Today we are celebrating, I mentioned it, the single greatest day in the history of the world. That this is the day that we celebrate that Christ Jesus resurrected from the dead. Paul David Tripp says this, he says, it's not just the most important miracle ever. It's not just the most astounding event in the life of Jesus. It's not just an essential item in your theological outline. It's not just the reason for the most celebratory season in the life of the church. And it's not just your hope for the future. No, the resurrection is all of that and more. It is meant to be the window through which you view everything in life. Everything in life. It is because of the resurrection that we walk through crisis differently. That it's because of the resurrection that we walk through struggle differently. That it's because of the resurrection we walk through distress differently. 
It's because of the resurrection, we walk through all of these unknown things that are happening in our worlds. We walk through them differently. It's because of the resurrection that we talk about struggle and sin differently because of the fact of the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to walk through these first 11 verses. And it's, it's powerful. I wish we could walk through all 58 verses. Because in no other place in the Bible will you find a complete chapter dedicated just to the resurrection and why it matters. Why it's so important. And Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthian church. And he's not writing to convince them that Jesus rose from the dead, but rather about our our blessed hope, our living hope that, that, that life isn't over when it's over here. But yet through Christ, we have eternal life in him. But, but what he's helping them understand is we know that because we know that Jesus rose from the dead. Like everything is rooted and based on the resurrection of Jesus. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says this. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you, which you receive and in which you stand. He is not about to teach them something brand new. He's not bringing new information to the table. Rather, he wants his brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants us to all be reminded of the gospel. It's the most important truth in all of scripture we'll see in just a moment the heart of the gospel but he is reminding them he is stirring them up he's keeping the gospel of jesus front and center for everyone to remain focused on he says in verse two and by which you're being saved so we're saved through the gospel he says if you hold fast to the word i preach to you unless you believed in vain that's important that Paul, we understand Paul isn't saying that true believers are in danger of losing their salvation. Rather, he is warning those that are in the room that are, uh, they have placed their faith in other things other than Jesus. This would be non-saving faith. We see this, we experience this all around. That, that for some, they're like, okay, because my mother was such a godly woman... And she had such a strong relationship with the Lord that I'm just going to kind of ride on her faithful coattails and I'm good. Or maybe it's your father. My father was a godly man. He loved the Lord. And because he was so devout in his faith, then I'm going to kind of ride on his coattails. And I'm just going to like everything's good because I come from a good family or my dad loved God, or that it's tied up in, in a kind of a works type of situation, which means as long as at the end of my life that my good outweighs my bad, then I'm good. Or it could be that you see somebody's life that says that they are a Christian, a believer, and you match your life against theirs. And because you, in your estimation, live a better life than them, then you must be good. Or you link um, some type of like, I've, I've, I've grown up in church. I got like, we, we, we tie up in these works-based uh, uh, pathways for, for, for faith. But, but the thing is, this is, is Paul is warning. He's like, listen, 
If you place your faith and your trust in anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ in the finished work of Jesus, your faith is in vain. Because what matters most is a personal relationship with Jesus. Paul is speaking truth into their lives. He's speaking truth into their lives. If you place your faith in anything other than the finished work of Jesus, His death, His burial, His resurrection, he says, your faith, your faith is in vain. And so what we're going to walk through now are these next few verses is we're going to walk through four evidences that Paul gives of the resurrection, and then we're going to wrap up by saying, okay, so how does that, what does that mean to my life? What does that mean to my heart? So the very two first proofs out of the gate in this passage for the resurrection are, one, the Old Testament Scriptures told us He would, and that the New Testament Scriptures tell us He did. The Old Testament Scriptures tell us He would, raised from the dead. The New Testament scriptures tell us he did resurrect from the dead. In Matthew chapter 12, there are religious people called Pharisees. They're questioning Jesus and they say to him in Matthew 12, 38, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, Old Testament, Jonah. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Luke 24, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is in Luke 24, it talks about this passage is about the road to Emmaus. There's these Two disciples, they're not of the original twelve, but they're, they're two that are leaving Jerusalem. They've kind of soaked in everything that's happened and taken place. Maybe everything didn't go exactly how they thought they would, but they're making their way back to Emmaus. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to these brothers as they walk. And they don't realize who it is that is talking to them. They don't realize who it is that's walking alongside them. They will. But the Bible says this in Luke 24, verse 25. Jesus says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? The resurrection. Verse 27, I love this. He says, And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself probably one of the one of the the kind of the key verses as it relates to the resurrection the old testament is psalm 16 there are 25 what are called messianic psalms in the old testament these psalms point us to jesus and king david wrote this in psalm 16 9 and 10 he said therefore my heart is glad my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or love this or let your Holy One see corruption. This is important because centuries later, he's pointing to the Messiah. If you track through the New Testament, you make yourself uh, you make your way to Acts chapter two. When Peter is preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, he shares this Old Testament psalm. With those thousands that were listening. 
And he says this in Acts 2.29. He says, brothers, I may not, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, King David's tomb, you can go there. You can see it. The tomb is still there. And, and two years ago, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land, went to Jerusalem, went to King David's tomb. You can go there today. The tomb's there. And so what Peter is saying is this psalm, Psalm 16, that David wrote, this wasn't about him. This was about Jesus. He says, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. A little later in Acts, Paul finds himself under trial under King Herod Agrippa. In a place called Caesarea. It's right there by the sea. And Paul says this to King Agrippa, Acts 26, 22. He says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. In Mark 8, Jesus is walking with his disciples towards Jerusalem. He says this. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days will be raised again. Jesus said in John 14, 29, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So the Old Testament scriptures told us he would rise from the dead. The New Testament scriptures tell us he did rise from the dead. But then you also have all of these eyewitnesses. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and that he, Christ, appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. How in the world do you prove that a resurrection is true? You appear. <laughs> That's what you do. You make an appearance. How do you know this is true? You make an appearance. And what we see in this text is Paul is outlining. He's outlining all of these appearances of Christ. That many, 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 many people had seen. Many people seen uh, in a court case, you, you're going to one of the most powerful forms of evidence is going to be the eyewitness. Um, I'm not a lawyer, have a lot of respect for those who are. And, 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 and with this, the more eyewitnesses you have, the better the case you have. And so here, Paul's going to bring five people to the witness stand. First, he mentions Cephas. Cephas' name is also Peter. This is the disciple Peter. This is the apostle Peter. In the account of, of the, the, from the upper room on Thursday night to the, to the betrayal and the arrest of Jesus and, and six trials that Christ went through before the cross, that it was at Caiaphas' house under the watch of night in an illegal trial 
where Peter denied Christ three times. Luke's Gospel, Luke 22, teaches us that when Peter had denied him three times and the rooster crowed, just like Jesus said he would, the Bible says this, that when the rooster crowed, that the eyes of Christ and that the eyes of Peter locked. And that the Bible says that he wept. Peter wept. He wept. And I love that Jesus goes to Peter. And the resurrection has an impact on Peter. John 21, I love that story. On the shores of Galilee. And, and Peter is there and Christ says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, three times he denies him. Three times Jesus asks, do you love me? He says, you're going to feed my sheep. And what does, what does Christ do? He restores Peter. He says, you're going to feed my sheep. And we see he goes on to do incredible things for the Lord. But think about this. Everything changed because of the resurrection. Everything changed because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so in Peter's life, we see, we see that he is being restored. And what I love about this passage is that we are encouraged that failure is never final. Failure is never final. My hunch is, if you're like me, there have been times where you have felt like you have let the Lord down. We let people down, but times you feel like you've let the Lord down. And so what an encouraging word it is this morning to be reminded. And I love this. Failure is never final with God. It never is. His grace, His forgiveness is real. And so failure is never, ever final. And so because of the resurrection, Peter moves forward with incredible purpose and confidence. So he, appear, he appears to Cephas, Peter. He appears to the twelve. The Bible tells us that on Easter evening... That the disciples are gathered in an upper room. They have gathered in this upper room. And they have the door locked. And they are scared. The Bible says that they feared the Jews. Why? Because they saw what they did to Jesus. And they're thinking they might be next. And so they are gathered in this upper room. They're gathered with the doors locked. They are in fear of the Jews. And then the resurrected Christ shows up. <laughs> And, and, and can you imagine? <laughs> and, and just he comes with a message of peace. But I want you to think about this. Practically every disciple died a martyr's death. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because for these brothers, they would, they would be put to death before they would deny the resurrection. And so it changed everything about their lives because they saw the resurrected Jesus. It changed everything for them. Paul, he goes on to say in verse 6, he says that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Show me one person that sees somebody who has been raised from the dead. One person. I'm probably going to have my doubts. <laughs> and I'm going to wonder, like, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, are you, are you, have you gotten enough sleep? Are you stressed out? Like, what's going on right now? This is one person, okay? But show me 500 people who see the same resurrected Jesus at one time. That is not a hallucination. That is a fact. That is a fact. The resurrection is real. He goes on to say, Paul says, and most are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep, 
Most are still alive. In other words, hey, Kim, Kim was there. Y'all know Kim, right? Kim was there. Go talk to her. She's right down the road. Or Stephen or Michael or Philip or Stacy. I mean, whoever it is. I mean, there, there are hundreds of people who saw the resurrected Christ. He's like, you can go talk to him. Lee Strobel uh, wrote a book called The Case for Christ. Perhaps you've seen the documentary that's out there. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, it's a great documentary, documentary. But he's a former investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he was a longtime atheist. So he did not believe in God. And, and yet he, he is now a, a mighty man of faith. And he said this, he said, if we were holding a trial to determine the facts concerning the resurrection, and if we were to call to the witness stand every witness who personally encountered the resurrected Jesus, and we cross-examined them for only 15 minutes, and if we went around the clock without a break, we would be listening to first-hand testimony for more than 128 hours, nonstop. That's over five days worth of testimony. He says, who could possibly walk away unconvinced? The Bible goes on to say that not only did he appear to the 500 at one time, verse 7 says, and then he appeared to James. And there's multiple James, Jameses in the Bible. There's two of the disciples are named James. Um, my conviction, and I know many others, is that this would be James, the half-brother of Jesus. Sometimes we, uh, at least we lose sight of the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? And, and, and so for James, the, the scriptures tell us, like James and his brothers, they, they were skeptics. They were skeptics. They, they thought Christ had lost his mind. And so they rejected Jesus as Messiah. But we're talking about the resurrection. And when you see the resurrected Jesus, it changes everything. And so for James, no longer could he deny or be a skeptic that Jesus isn't the Messiah. He's seeing the resurrected Christ. And so only a resurrected Christ can bring a brother from being a skeptic to now he is the leader in the Jerusalem church. Okay, Big difference. Why? Because of the effect and the power of the resurrection on James's life. Acts 1 goes on to tell us that from the, from the resurrection of Jesus to the ascension of Jesus was 40 days. And for 40 days he appeared and he taught about the kingdom of God. The resurrection is the best attested to fact of ancient history. And so the Old Testament scriptures told us he would. The New Testament scriptures tell us he did. Eyewitnesses affirm. And one more line of evidence and proof is that changed lives don't lie. Changed lives don't lie. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. Of God. This brother was as far from God as a person could be. And, and, and maybe there's a desire to kind of argue or even debate theology a little bit. Or, or, you know, kind of, I don't know this. But listen, you can't argue with a changed life. Who in this room would, would argue with Paul? 
Who's going to argue that Paul was not completely and radically saved and transformed by the grace of God? He was. He was. And so for Paul, he was the one. In Acts, you'll read about the first Christian martyr. His name was Stephen. They stoned him to death. The Bible says that they took Stephen's garments and they laid it at Paul's feet. Paul was previously named Saul. He changed his name. But literally, they bring his garments to his feet. So what does this mean? This means that that Paul is 100% affirming in the murder of Stephen. Not only that, that he was a persecutor of the church. We just read it. He would invade homes. He would take the, the men and he would have them arrested. He would have women arrested as well. But the resurrection changes everything. Think about it. He, this brother, Paul, went from being a, the greatest persecutor of the church to the world's greatest missionary. How? Why? All because of the resurrection. All because of the resurrection. William Lane Craig says this. He, he's an apologist. He says, without the belief in the resurrection, the Christian faith could not, have, could not come into being. The disciples would have remained crushed and defeated, even if they continued to remember Jesus as their beloved teacher. His crucifixion would have silenced any hope of His being the Messiah, and the cross would have remained the sad and shameful end of His career. But, the Old Testament Scriptures told us He would. The New Testament Scriptures tell us He did. The eyewitnesses affirm you can't argue with a changed life. Changed lives don't lie. So, because the tomb is empty, Because it's empty, it changes everything. It changes everything. Because the tomb is empty, we know Jesus is who He says He is. Jesus is who He says He is. Romans 1.4 says, And Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That because the tomb is empty, that that means Jesus is who He says He is. And if Jesus is who He says He is, then that means His Word is true. And if His Word is true, then that changes everything for us. He's true. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. John 14, 6. Because the tomb is empty, Jesus has power over death. He has power over death. Romans 6, 9 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. I mentioned because of the resurrection, we see things differently. Believers, we see things differently. Why? Because we know that when our life is done, it's the best is yet to come. That we will spend eternity with King Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. His resurrection secured our victory over death. This is why when we view and we walk through struggle and difficult circumstances that we understand because of the resurrection, we see things differently. We see things differently. Peter, I mentioned, denied Christ, restored on the shores of Galilee. Commission filled with the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with the world. Listen to what Peter says in his 
letter over in 1 Peter 1.3. And think of it through the lens of a rescued brother living by God's grace, resting in His forgiveness, and having a mission. He says this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, I love it, that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and that is unfading. Jesus has power over death. The empty tomb proves it. He also, because the tomb is empty, Jesus has the power to forgive sin. 1 Corinthians 15, I mentioned, I wish we had time to dig through it. But if you look over at verse 17, the Bible says this, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sin. But because of the resurrection, because Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus proves His authority and power to break the power of sin. That this is why I say because of the resurrection, we look as believers at sin differently. We're works in progress. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we look at it differently. But because the, the tomb is empty, this means Jesus has power over sin and over the power and rule and reign of sin. So as believers, when we, through repentance and faith, trust Christ, He gifts us the gift of His presence, the Holy Spirit. And so that with us, though we may feel like we get in ruts and we get in struggle and we feel like it's overwhelming and maybe we can't overcome, through Christ we can do all things who gives us strength. He has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to give us grace over selfish attitude. He has His grace because the tomb is empty to grant us that forgiveness of our sin and eternal life for all who accept Him. One of my favorite verses, Romans 8.1, Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Isn't that a good word? That's a good word. For those in Christ, there's no condemnation. Because you know what condemnation is? It's a tool of the enemy to paralyze you. And it is a tool of the enemy in his plan to steal, kill, and destroy you. But the gospel is is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Paul understood that the gospel coming to him was God's grace toward him. Like you get this idea that that every breath that Paul enjoyed, he saw as a grace gift from God. He saw every resource that God supplied him with as the grace of God. He saw all his relationships and friendships and and circumstances all as a gracious gift from God. For him, it was all grace. And, and, and let us not get tripped up where it talks about that I worked harder than any of them. Let's not, let's not confuse this with working for your salvation. Paul was super clear. You are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what he's saying is, by God's grace, God's grace strengthens me to live for him 
in a profound and sacrificial way because of His grace. Because of His grace, He lives in His grace. He is all about the grace of God. And so God's grace has come to us. God's grace has come to you. Just like God's grace came to Peter, just like God's grace came to the apostles, just like God's grace came to the 500 people, just like God's grace came to James, just like God's grace came to Paul, just like God's grace came to everyone else, God's grace has come to us. He's come to us. And the gospel, the gospel, what's central about the gospel is that Christ died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And when we understand and wrap our hearts and minds around the gospel, it changes everything. It changes how we view everything. The resurrection changes everything. So how does this impact our life? For the believer, I would encourage you to be encouraged. That There's a hymn that I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I remember growing up singing it in church. It's called Because He Lives. And, and I love that song. And I love that hymn, and it's almost hard to say it without singing it, but uh, I will spare you right now, but, but I do want to say this. It's that because He lives, in other words, because of the resurrection, I can face tomorrow. That because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the, anybody know? Future. That life is worth the living just because He lives. Because He lives, it changes everything. And so rest in His grace. Rest in His grace. There are areas around our lives that don't bring honor and glory to Him. That's a gracious gift, conviction. And that as He reveals those areas of our lives as believers, we, we call it what it is. We repent of those things. And in His grace and His power, we move forward forward because condemnation is not of God conviction is but condemnation isn't so we we respond to his conviction and by his grace we move forward that we would live lives through the lens of the resurrection Paul says this in Philippians 3 10 he says I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection I want to know Jesus. He says this in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. He's praying for the Ephesian church. And he says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. And it is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand. What a prayer for us as believers to pray. I want to know you more and I want to know the power of your resurrection. Lives focused on God's grace and the gospel of God. And then I would also say to someone who may be in the room and, and, if, and if the question came to this, would you say that you have a relationship with Jesus? And if somewhere in that answer there would be a lack of peace or I don't know, I want you to be encouraged today because God's grace and His gospel has come to you today. I mentioned earlier that, that I, I wear glasses, wear contacts, and actually five out of the six people who live in my house all uh, wear corrective lenses. And, uh, and Sheppy, 
uh, one of my boys, um, he, we, we learned early on, we just started noticing patterns in his life. And so some of the patterns we noticed with that was that he would walk on his tiptoes a lot. Like almost like he's kind of stretching, straining. We noticed how um, like if we would go swimming or something, you know, a lot of times you just kind of jump right in, cannonball right in. But he would kind of get right up to the edge. And there was just this almost fear and hesitancy and just kind of he would just kind of lean in. And uh, and in those earlier years, we were doing different therapies with him. And and I think I forget which one it was, but they said, hey, have you ever had his eyes checked out? And we were like, no, we haven't done that. And so so uh, Amber took him and they went to the eye doctor. And sure enough, the Starship Enterprise came, came down and they're, you know, one and two. But but the doctor, what he said was he was like, he, he can't see anything near. He can't see anything far. He said his whole life up to that point had been a blur. And, and, and so they, they were able to, to gift him with these lenses. And, and Amber said, like, just she was there in the room with him and, 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 and said to Shepard, they're like, Shepard, do you want to see what your mommy looks like? And that for the first time, the first time his eyes saw and that his eyes were wide open. And that he saw things differently than he ever had seen before. Differently than he'd ever seen. All of a sudden, life makes more sense now. All of a sudden, the things that were a blur are now clear. For him, everything changed. And perhaps you're here living apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ and you can relate spiritually. You can relate spiritually. Perhaps you know that it's time for a change. You know it's time for a change. Perhaps that you sense and feel your life is a blur. Your life is a blur. Your life maybe lacks direction. Perhaps you have a lack of purpose a lack of focus, perhaps a lack of peace, perhaps a lack of rest, perhaps like Paul warned early on in this text, perhaps that you have been focusing so far, so much on a faith that is focused on self and doing good enough and being good enough that somehow you have lived life apart from a relationship with King Jesus who loves you so much and you've been going about it in your own strength. And today, through the lens of God's gospel and through the lens of the resurrection, all of a sudden, clarity comes and the understanding that I am made and created for a relationship with King Jesus. And so if that's you today and you're like, you know what? I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. This is this is what I need in my life. The scriptures teach us just like the scriptures tell us the good news. The scriptures teach us how to have a relationship with Jesus. And it begins with realizing that you're made for a relationship with Jesus. It begins with understanding and realizing that you are imperfect and that the Bible really is true that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. 
But not only that, but that God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Why? Because the resurrection is true. That is Romans 6.23. And that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible says this, you will be saved. You will be accepted in the beloved. You will be forgiven of all of your sin. You will experience His grace like never before. He loves you so much, He grants you the gift of His presence, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you, to dwell inside of you, that you, by God's grace, get to live for a bigger purpose than ourselves, but you live for the glory of God and you live for the mission of God. And that's not all. There's more, right? There's more. There's more. Because when this time is over, it's not the end. It's only beginning. The best is yet to come because we spend eternity with Jesus. Why? Because the tomb is empty. This is why Paul could say this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It was a gain in his sight to be with his Savior. And so the gospel has come to you. The grace has come to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you, God, that you died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that you were buried and that you rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Thank you for this gospel that is of first importance. Lots of important things. This is most important. And so, Father, as believers, I pray there is a stirring up of our faith. There's encouragement. There's blessing. And God, I pray that we would celebrate the resurrection. God, I pray that we would understand that it means for us that you have granted us power over just the strongholds in our life. Sin and struggle of sin, all those things. We, we, we will wrestle, but we can have victory in you. And so I pray for the believer in the room that may have a relationship with you, but yet they feel defeated. They're not condemned but they feel that way. God, I just pray today they are encouraged that because the tomb is empty, failure is never final and that you would grant grace and forgiveness and encouragement for them as they walk in power for your name. And Father, I pray for the, the person who may be here in the room or listening in online. This is the most important decision that anybody could ever make. The scriptures teach us this, God. That we're made for you. We're made for a relationship with you. You are the only one who satisfies our deepest longing and our deepest need. And so, Father, for anyone here that is ready today to say, you know what? I need a change. I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. That today would be the day where they would acknowledge their sin. That they would repent of their sin. In other words, have a change of mind and a change of direction. And they turn to King Jesus, believing that Christ is the Son of God, that He lived a life that we can never live, 
that He was crucified on a cross, that we should have died, that He was placed in a tomb, and He rose from the dead, giving victory over both death, hell, and the grave. And that, Father, today would be the day where they surrender their lives to You as Lord. Father, we love You. And we thank You for the empty tomb. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This time we're going to stand. We're going to sing together. And I just want you to know there's freedom right now. There's freedom. If you feel led to come and pray at the altar, come and pray at the altar. If you feel led to pray there, right there at your seat, pray right there at your seat. You see somebody across the other way from here and you, you want them to pray over you. Let them pray over you. We have pastors down front that would love the opportunity to pray over you. We're here to serve and minister. But, but may we not miss this opportunity for obedience to whatever the Lord would show us. If you're here today, you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to begin a relationship. We would love to pray over you, walk alongside you in that decision. Let's praise the Lord.